now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror! <laughs> Hello, my little creepers. I know that all of you pitch a fit if I don't fork over the gags, but... Uh, you know, I got nothing with this one. It's called The Prowler. I don't know, it's a period piece? And then it's set in modern day? And why are they killing people? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I got nothing for this one. I don't know what else to say about this one except Tom Savini's awesome and... Ah, uh, the sheriff did it. And it doesn't matter that I told you. Ah, uh, enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. I am your co-host this evening, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I'd like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to our podcast today. And uh, we have got a doozy for you, but as always, I can't do this by myself. So left to right across your podcast dial, here are my co-hosts. First up, the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler. Can't you keep those damn kids under control? Question I ask myself every single day yep and uh, also joining us my brother mr jason jacanetti hey who turned off the band <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the man who knows about turning off the band our final member two true freaks og chris honeywell hey baby let's struggle <laughs> <laughs> oh that was your pickup line in high school, wasn't it, uh, Hero? I think you told me something about that once. You know, um, basically, if you if you tell them up front, it's not it's not assault, right? Something like that. I don't know, but uh, 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 I'm not touching that one. <laughs> I think when he says struggle, it's not more in the immediate assault terms. It's just more in the long term relationship terms. Okay, that's <laughs> we'll yeah. let's, let, right. let, let's let let's face emotional and financial struggles together. Okay, so. Uh, <laughs> It's a new type it's a, of horror. Always good. Works at dances very yeah. well. It's it's a, it's it's, an, it's this instead of like you know the immediate visceral horror we normally cover. Now it's existential horror as you ponder yes. your life while sitting <laughs> in front of the, uh, your, your your Blu-ray title screen after uh, after another night of watching horror movies instead of you know getting an education or a job. But no, none of that tonight. Uh, we have the the visceral horror instead. You, not you the, think yeah, that pitchfork's bad? Try this mortgage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kid, right? It's like, it's, uh, you know, it's like, uh, things I'm scared of. It's like, you know, uh, killers uh, wielding giant weapons. Also, the fact that I have to pay my water bill. And ladies yeah. and gentlemen, if you can't guess what we're talking about, <laughs> what we're talking about now, I don't know what to do for you. We are going all the way back to so 1981 obvious. for our, our latest horror rack hanger on. We are taking a look at The Prowler. Uh, written, uh, directed by Joe Zito, 
and uh, best known, of course, for its uh, very complex special effects by Tom Savini. And uh, now uh, this one, uh, now this was one that personally I did not discover until it came on DVD. I never saw this on VHS. I don't recall it on VHS, but this actually was a a fairly uh, successful VHS release. It was released by VCII in 1981. Now they did both a big box, so the classic VHS big box, but they also did a slipcase. There's actually two different slipcases for this. One is just a shrunk down version of the the big box artwork, and uh, the other one is more of VCII's standard slipcase where it's like a red frame with the artwork in a little box on the front. And uh, the thing I really like about this is that uh, it has a unique tagline on this where it says, the human exterminator is dot, 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 the prowler. So I, I'm, I'm just amazed there's never been a movie like a sequel called The Human Exterminator because that sounds pretty boss too. But The Prowler, this one, oh boy, the first time I watched this, this kind of kicked my ass. What do you guys say? It's also known for those of you, real quick, it was released internationally not as The Prowler but as Rosemary's Killer. And then um, sometime, and again, I, it, it's it's hard to pin down exactly where it was, it was put out. It was in, there was limited showings in North and South Carolina uh, where in 1984, where they actually came up with a new tagline for it. Um, and the new tagline is, you don't need a chainsaw to have a massacre. Because mm. they re-released it as the Pitchfork Massacre in 84. And literally, people thought it was a, a new movie. It must have been in drive-ins and stuff. It just says it released limited yeah. in South and North Carolina. It must have been in drive-ins. And it said Pitchfork right, Massacre. Yeah. yeah. Now, the... This, yeah, the, the this is, again, but, but the problem was... Rosemary's Killer title actually came... Go ahead, Jeff. So I was saying is, so if you're going to the, the, the drive-in and you've got like three movies and you're like, Pitchfork Massacre, oh, okay, let's see what this is. And then like the Prowler starts. Now, I would have been happy if I had seen the Prowler. Like, oh, good, at least we got a good movie. It could have been some schlock, right? But like at the same time, if you're like, oh, I thought there was going to be a new movie. But uh, yeah. so. New movies? Who needs new movies? But uh, <laughs> the, now the I will say this just to continue with the, the, the history here. The Rosemary's Killer title originated when this was released in the UK, and that's there is a UK edition, a PAL edition, that was put out by um, a British outfit called Entertainment in Video (EIV), and it is does have, in fact, the Rosemary's Killer title on that VHS release. And I don't know how PAL tapes are hard to find here in the in the states just because you need the right type of equipment to play them. So not a lot of, they, they weren't ever imported much back in the day. So they get, PAL tapes in general can get pretty pricey. This one, I've never seen that PAL tape. I imagine with the alternate title, it's probably going to be difficult to find that yes. one. Yeah. Uh, as it is, the VHSs for this one are hard to find because while the Prowler was not successful when it was released, it very quickly became a cult favorite, let's just say. Yeah. Yeah, There's I a- didn't know. I didn't know what to think of this one. (laughs) Well, I mean, for for a quote-unquote slasher movie, it's got a very different kind of opening. Yeah, no, like, the cinematography in this is crisp. The lighting is beautiful. The, the, The locations they picked are perfect. You know, the sets that, that, you know, you can tell they've dressed up different buildings in the town, the little town they were in they're perfect the period dressing for the the opening is perfect and 
you know the the sound every like technically it's just very good uh the special effects are basically the star like the standout of the whole thing the story the acting is 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 fine i was really like except for maybe like the sheriff deputy was kind of obnoxious but uh, it was you know it was fine for for what it is but the script i couldn't I, like by the end i like nothing came together for me i was just like okay so they got this i i never picked up the killer's motivation the 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 connections between the um characters that that led to all that to, to why this was happening you know and and but at the same point i really didn't care because it was just it was like kill after kill and uh um it, so i wasn't really like into like the mystery getting solved but it was just weird it was i don't know if they were just wrote it too subtly or if maybe i just had a long day of work and i didn't pick up uh, uh what the you know what uh what wheelchair professor kingsfield how he figured into all of it and and he's a red herring yes yeah, well every like like the thing is it instantly my first thought when i when when it went when it cut to the 80s as i went i did like math in my head okay i'm like okay we just jumped ahead 35 years so probably if our killer was a young guy it is still going to be around he'd be in his 50s first character we see is the sheriff in his 50s yeah. obviously going I'm going on fishing vacation. And I'm like, oh, Sheriff did it. <laughs> and I'm like, this is too, way too obvious. So this is the first, I'm thinking, this is our first of many red herrings. And yeah. then as it went on, I kept just thinking to myself, ah, Sheriff did it. Sheriff, it's it's the Sheriff. And, uh, which also was fine. But, uh, yeah, it's just a strange production. It was it was an enjoyable watch. The 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 special effects are what like when I was a kid, I got Tom Savini's Bizarro book, which went in in depth of how all the special effects sequences went off, especially the one with the uh, with the knife through the head getting pulled <laughs> yeah. out, the eyes rolling up, and all that. And uh, so I knew like all these gags I'd read about over and over again as a kid. So when I finally saw them, I was like, OK, here's all this stuff I read about. And I remember seeing the pictures of them as a kid and being like, these are shocking. But I think to myself, I was a kid then. I've seen so much gore since then. And we've come so far with gore. But man, the this stuff is. Is 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 good. It does. It looks like people are getting massacred. There's not that like, there's no like, oh, something foam is getting stabbed. It's really harsh. <laughs> it's so, pretty incredible. Savini has actually always considered this to be his best work. Um, yeah. In fact, Joe Zito, the director, uh, was actually at uh, one of the theaters when it was premiered and stuff. And he had said to one of the, the guards who used to stand there at the theater because, you know, those debuts and stuff. And he goes, uh, yeah, I'm the director of this film. And the guard turned to him and straight face said, you really did kill those people, right? Because it looked like there yeah. was so many people. People believed at the time that the kills on the screen were real. They knew that the acting was acted. They didn't think it was. Okay, so let me just say this. No one thought this was a snuff film before anyone's like, Jay, you're wrong. No, no. 
No one thought it was a snuff film. No one said, oh, that person is really that person. But they thought, like, the, the, the kills were so real, it was hard to even imagine that good-looking effects on a screen. And remember, this is 1981, so there is no Blu-ray. You're watching it in a theater, or you're seeing it maybe at best later on on VHS. So when you clean it up for Blu-ray, they still look good. That says something. I'll, yeah. I'll say this: they probably look. They're probably even more effective. They they should look worse. You should see the seams yeah. more. I when the like you know I know how they did the the pitchfork in the stomach with the one girl who's lifting her up by the pitchfork. But when you see it in action, usually when you see something like that, you see like what part you can tell which parts are the real actress and which parts are the extensions and the foam parts and stuff. This looks like a pitchfork in skin you know stretching it like real skin it's 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 yeah it's grueling it's 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 way ahead of its time it's it definitely like and it's and it's shocking in its sadisticness because usually you get just enough to get that that shock and then cut away. This one just stays. He's just sawing through their throats. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, the actual the the one effect that is probably looks the worst now, like what that looks worse now, is probably the one that with this a lot of this movie again is very famous for the 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 the, the headshot scene at the end, right? They, when when it all explodes and it's all the corn cobs and the uh, pig intestines and everything else they filled the head with and they blew it up. Now on the Blu-ray, you can kind of see that it's a dummy head because you can kind of see that there's not a whole lot of articulation to the face. Um, mm -hmm. But by that point in the movie, okay, like you're just like, okay, you know, like, okay, they're going to blow the guy's head clean off, you know, kind of thing, right? Like, that, I mean, it still was effective enough. So Kelly watched, Kelly's seen this movie with me before, before Haley. And then Kelly and Haley got home and they watched a little and Haley was doing stuff. And Kelly watched the end of the movie with me. Um, she's like, I've seen this. And she's like, I think I remember what happened. And she's like, oh, yeah, I remember now. And boom, they blow the guy's head off. And she's like, yeah, it's still gross. And I'm like, but it, it's not like it takes you completely out of it. But if that's no. the weak looking, if that's the weakest looking effect in the movie, it's still better than 99% of the stuff you're going to see other places. The the guy Especially, with the knife through his head is, is oh, yeah. just incredible. There's been gags like that before, but this one is just so disturbing and well executed it's yeah it's amazing so yeah. the thing was each of the main special effects shots each of those main effect shots at least took at least a full day for each setup each one of them so they actually did they planned out because they had actually planned out the scoot the shooting schedule okay we're gonna do this this day so they put those days in first and then said okay we have to now build the rest of the schedule around when we're going to do these effects shots. Because I think, I mean, they had to know. They had to know that, like, this movie is not going to, this isn't winning any awards for best acting. <laughs> but it's going to be, people are going to talk about this because it's going to be in Fangoria. It's going to be, um, yeah. I'm sure it's in Fantastique had it. It's going to make Starlog, or if that was still around. Like, people are going to talk about this movie because of the effects. And so mm -hmm. they knew to get the best effects out there. It's much like, 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 remember when Savi, we, we, we did the burning 
and Savini yes. there was like, we're going to do this and this. And you watch the burning, and, and again, the burning is not that different than many other, you know, slasher, camp movies, whatever, except that there are some scenes in there you're like, oh, yeah, he just snips that guy's fingers right off, and it looks like his hand's really cut in half. You know, yeah. kind of like there's some crazy crap in there. And you're like, because Savini was at the top of his game. And and this is one of the reasons why this, like for the Prowler, and then, which is, and then Maniac's around the same time. I mean, Maniac has a couple of scenes where like, okay, that's kind of dumb looking. But like, there's some scenes in Maniac when he, when he blows the guy, when he'll blow oh, yeah. blows his head clean off. When dad and I watched that, dad's like, okay, that's intense, right? But these are the kind of things that Safini was known for. And so when he had a, a scene where maybe it didn't look as good, right, you know, kind of thing. But you're like, yeah, but how about this scene? Or how about the knife, the knife, the, the arrow through Kevin Bacon's throat twisting and the blood spirting out? Or how about, you know, you had all those things you could look back on Savini had done. And it just became obvious that, like, he was a master at doing things that no one else had kind of figured out yet. Much much in the same way that uh, Rick Baker and Stan Winston and Rob Bottin, mm-hmm. those guys were ahead of the game, different kind of thing. Like They weren't doing crazy like kills and stuff. Like On the thing, Bottin was able to make things happen. No one had any clue how he did half that stuff. Like the howling in American Werewolf in London, the werewolf effects are insane. They're even better than any stuff you see today. Because those guys were pushing the envelope, and they were that's why they were the masters who everyone else kind of you know studies at their altar. And Savini's no different. However, you might feel about Tom Savini personally, his gore effects, his kills, his stuff—that's the bar. You know, that's if you if you couldn't do it that good, I mean, everyone's trying to get to that bar. But it was like you know, and this movie has some of the better ones in it that. And let's be honest, I don't think a lot of people probably even remember seeing The Prowler. Because like Luke said, it was not a success. I mean, it became a cult movie, but it wasn't it's, one of those that it's ne- was never on cable. I think, it's a, sure. I think it's so popular because it's basically like, this is like the perfect gore special effects. Like, you know, it. If if the story doesn't make sense and is kind of just sort of like a standard slasher story, it's Tom Savini's like proof of existence. You know, it's just got like he could just he could just turn that turn that in as his demo reel. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So my and, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was just gonna say, and it's sort of it still kind of sets a bar. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that's that's the thing is that it's you know it compared to a lot of the other slashers of the era, the ones that were more successful. I can see why this one was not because some of the things that I like about it are the things that would turn off most audiences. Mm-hmm. The kind of like you said that the fact that the story never really comes together all that well, you know, say say what you want about Friday the 13th that story comes together and we understand the end by the time we get there. Right. Mm. You know, say what you want about even, you know, at any of them really, but here the story just kind of is semi perfunctory. Like it, it does have a story yeah. and it does, it does. If you think about it and you read it, it's like, okay, I, I can see that, but it's not really all that interested in it. And what that creates in addition to the way that it's shot is it creates this almost, you know, 
almost dreamlike fantastical quality to it yes it's, yeah, it's like almost like a, a dream it's like and a, a documentary mixed together of a true right. crime or something yeah, because because you've got these scenes that seem almost like a fantasy and then that's juxtaposed to this extremely hard-bitten look at violence this, you know that goes beyond to me the cinema verite style that that uh, Savini always already did. It goes beyond it, like you said, Chris, because it lingers on stuff. When the yeah. girl is pitchforked in the shower, I mean, my note is literally pitchforked in the shower. Damn, you know, because it it's just seeing her squirming on the end of it. Now we've gone beyond the, you know, fanboy reaction, geek show reaction to Savini's effect and now now it starts to become uncomfortable a little yes. bit when yeah. you're watching it That's and then and, but then it goes from that and then you know but then think at the end when she finds the people in the shower and it's like you know it's like uh you know Pam wanders in and, and finds the bodies of these two characters that that nobody has has ever has referred to because everyone thinks they're just off you know canoodling somewhere they've been sitting there dead for hours mm-hmm and and it's it, but it's not quite real, is it? When you, when you're watching, you're not quite no. sure if well, it's real or if she's just kind of lost her her mind at that point. Well, too. well so nobody's it, found those two bodies. Like, okay, so okay, the killer put you know, and he put the boyfriend in the shower with the girlfriend. But the way he killed the the boyfriend, that bed would have just been soaked in sticky blood, you know. Yeah. Like, so the sheriff's deputies walking through the room, and the there's only one scene that sort of backs up. Like, yeah, it, the, like it takes a while for bodies to be found. The first body that's found is when the one switched in the grave. And up to that point, everybody's missing those two bodies and not really sure anybody's killed. Somebody's just menacing somebody. But it's very implausible. And the first time, like, sort of reality sets in with that is when you can sort of see the blood in the pool and the one girl's walking around the pool. But, like, yeah, it's it's strange because also it in slasher movies they seem to be going for sometimes comedic over or over the top or novel ways of killing somebody that may not even be meant to be funny but they'll get that sort of audience reaction of just like whoa, whoa, whoa you know or or you know or you know so they're 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 set almost in an action they or they're or they're complicated or in a straight this this guy's just killing with a knife or a pitchfork. You know, he what, would prefer the pitchfork if he can, but if the pitchfork's not feasible, he'll use his knife. Yeah. And it's like slit someone's throat, stab them. You know, it's not like he's not coming up with complicated ways of killing people. And then it's also not portrayed in a, in a sort of the same exploitative way. It's, uh, it, it's in more of a almost snuff film sort of way where it lingers on it and it's it's just real violence and not like you know jason swinging somebody in a sleeping bag against a tree or something like that you know so it's it's extra disturbing i mean if you like had like a really strong story and characters that you really cared about it might have been a little too intense you know it might have gotten itself like you know, rated out of existence at that time period. 
you, you know the saying that it would have got would have gotten a little too real is that what you're saying yeah. chris yeah it would have been it would have it would have been a little too it would have been you know the the gore effects are disturbing on their own if they were carried out on somebody you like really were starting to care about as a character it would be even it would be even more gut-wrenching i mean it would have been a, a better movie it would have probably had a harder time getting distribution and it would have been a more of a like quote unquote real movie in like content wise but then you wouldn't be able to market it as in it where you would have to market it and it's just sits in a strange place you know and it's it's a novelty yeah Yeah, well so it's it's not like any it definitely felt very different to me. It's it's yeah. like other movies, but it's like a lot of it's, other different mixed together. Yeah, but not. Yeah. yeah. But the mix of it d- comes off being extremely strange. It it like it you can see that like they got a budget together for this. They got a budget and some talent together for for this. It wasn't as much. It didn't look like an indie production. It looked like it was. You know, the, the, the cinematographer looked like a seasoned professional, you know, really a million dollars to make the whole movie cost a million bucks. Yeah. I, and I mean, like just the lighting in it what captures the feel of of uh, like uh, uh, not resort town, but, you know, like a summer summer town, you know, so it was. Yeah, it was it was what it, like people like like. I think the only people that were like kind of slacking on it were the writer (laughs) and uh, everything else on it is just pretty slick. Well, okay. So the movie cost a million bucks. So it wasn't like this was some crazy high production value, but a million dollars in 1980, 81 was pretty good money for uh, an independent slasher movie. Um, But then the other thing is, um, of that million dollars, uh, almost all of it went to literally the effects. Like so, all the effects got they got what they needed because um, because everything kind of looks like you know it, it's this was all shot in and around. Um, he wanted uh, uh, Zito wanted to shoot this thing in California, but uh, but they couldn't. So they actually shot it all in Cape May, New Jersey, uh, kind of thing. So and so like. One of the, the one of the, I think one of the places says like Cape May Inn or something like that, um, or it was a hotel or something like that. Like they literally just used uh, whatever they had in Cape May, um, the uh, um, the house that's next door where like the uh, what do you call it was where uh, Lawrence Tierney is in the wheelchair, right? It's actually a museum. Like they they use whatever they had. So a lot of the is stuff. Is that Lawrence there, Tierney? Yeah. It is, yeah, oh my yeah. God! I did not even recognize him. I I kept call, I kept calling him Professor Kingsfield in my head. He looked like <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's Lawrence Tierney. Year, years before, uh, you know, he would ever gather together, uh, mm-hmm. Mister White, Mister Brown, Mister Blue, you know, kind of thing. So, <laughs> which a lot of people know him for. Uh, and I I just think it's funny though when you when you think about this movie, the movie is called The Prowler again in the U.S. Right. And to me, Rosemary's Killer, I think that kind of actually makes more sense for the name of the movie. The Prowler fits better for the kind of the era, right? The Prowler that they're referring to here, I mean, I know it's this killer, but they're talking about this person who's the Prowler. 
he's a couple towns over. They actually catch him halfway through the movie. He can't be the killer, right? The guy they keep talking about is being, oh, he's it's the killer. It's the guy, the escaped convict. It's the, the guy. That guy's not here. He never shows up. He's another red herring. Yeah. So many red He's her- the reddest red herring in that, too, because you know he has nothing to do with that, because if he was actually the killer, we would have seen the first scene would have been his his interaction with her, you know, and and how that 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 went down. And but yeah, I'm just saying is like the whole movie, basically, it, it tells you. Yeah, it's basically is. called the red herring. but it tells you the killer is right up front even though you're like i can't be that guy it can't be the sheriff right the guy the right right and the problem was i i've seen this movie several times and i'm like well maybe at the party they tell you who the killer is and you're supposed to remember the guy's name but it doesn't even tell you at the party who the killer is no no so you're supposed to kind of know that like well clearly the guy who's the killer is you know he's obsessed with rosemary kind of thing right and so the the only person who makes sense is the sheriff like it's it just doesn't make any like there's no other way to kind of tie it together because i always thought like maybe i missed it the first time you know kind of thing right i don't know i've watched a couple times i've I've never figured out where they tell you this but at the same token i'm also not mad at the end i'm like well okay yeah yeah no yeah i mean somebody had to be the killer I did. I'd be I didn't, pissed if somebody who turned up in like the last five minutes and all of a sudden he's the killer. Like that right. would piss me. Off. At least yeah, this yeah. guy's been I, in the movie. I, by the end of the movie, all I really wanted to do was see the mask come off and have someone go sheriff, and that's what happened. And that was, <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, and you know the the other thing is it's kind of the hol- it's kind of the Halloween th- three thing, right? You know, yeah. cinematically we want it to work a certain way, but there's no guarantee that things work that way in in halloween 3 you know a good showman never reveals his tricks just because the audience wants him to reveal his tricks here they don't have to tell us those things we expect the movie to do it because we want the movie to play by the quote-unquote rules but it doesn't have to per se yeah yeah that's kind of a cheat and kind of a cop-out but it is also a horror movie they are exploitative right so you gotta have to you know you get you get that on occasion what I'm saying though, Luke, is think about it. How many how many movies have we watched where literally you're like, okay, it's pretty obvious the killer's supposed to be this guy, but then they like turn it on its head, right? Kind of thing is like, what a twist, you know? Like yeah. I'm not uh, ding dongs movies, right? They always want to twist it at the end. This one pretty much is like, look, we're not telling you who the killer is, but there's only one person who fits the right age and description. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Well, I, it also sort of acknowledges that's not what we're here for, you know. I mean, really, like, really, I don't like. I'm I, at this point, I'm I I'm too old and too tired to play that game of like. I'm here for the story. I'm not reading Playboy for the for the interviews. I do read the interviews, and I that's and I will pay attention to second. the story of this. But that's not what I'm. That's not what I signed up for the Prowler for. And. Yeah. The movie's acknowledging it and saying, like, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't don't think too hard about that stuff because it doesn't really matter. It, it's it, it's it's kind of it's kind of refreshing in a way, and it it makes me also wonder if this was based on a book that might have been more detailed, and they decided to just sort of put their own spin on it because it almost feels like a horror novel in some ways, if you you know 
if if you filled in all the backstories enough to clarify the story but i like just sort of it just sort of plays out like it it doesn't seem like it's going to because it starts out with newsreels and a dear john letter and yes. and all that and stuff which is kind of weird and then you completely forget about it once it starts playing itself out but it just sort of plays out like and in, in the small town atmosphere and you got the the main girl was actually like wrote a story about the killing and stuff so it almost plays out like somebody telling this you know verbally telling the story in the town you know as it went along and like after the scandal you know and then this person got killed and then this person got killed and finally they blew the sheriff's head off and that's how we got the new sheriff <laughs> yeah you know and i i like that you know <coughs> excuse me i'm looking right now to see if it's based on a book uh it made under one million dollars, which is awesome. I'm sure they you gotta, were. You got to work pretty hard to do that. Right. You know? Under yeah. a million dollars on a movie, literally designed to. Um, no, the only writing credits go to Neil, Barbera, and Glenn Leopold, and they get screen screenplay credits. I don't see any anything about a novel. Oh, okay. So. It might have been someone's like, I've been working on this since college. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's a four-hour epic uh, known as Rosemary and the whatever. You got 30 seconds. Uh, Rosemary's Killer uh, makes it sound super like it could be supernatural, though, you know? It, it makes it sound like, you know, Rosemary's Baby, so it sounds like it has a Satan element to it. Okay, so... Uh, real quick, we just throw this out there. So, uh, Blue Underground released the full uncut version of the Prowler on DVD in 2002, which I have, and the Blu-ray in 2010, which I also have. Um, so the but the the cuts before it, there were, as Luke had said, there were cuts put out obviously on VHS and stuff like that. Previous versions actually were had uh, some of the kill scenes cut down. I couldn't imagine like, what else they would cut out. I mean, it must have been the kill scenes. <laughs> they yeah. said it was trimmed. Um, doesn't say how much was trimmed, just that it was, um, and that uh, Ch uh, not, not Chuck Zito, good lord, uh, Joe Zito, who was the director of this movie, would later get the job on uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, and he would bring Savini back to do the effects on that, based on their relationship from this movie. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, four, four is outstanding. I mean, I, I mean. I, 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 I said this is the hard part. So Dad and I talked about we, we we covered Friday one, right? Friday the Thirteenth Part One, right? And of course, there's no Jason Voorhees and whatever kind of thing, right? So I said to my dad, I said, well, the problem is we could do every one of these every year, every summer, just kind of keep doing them. I said we're going to eventually get to five where we should skip a year, and then just keep you know because you don't you don't want to do four and then it's like ugh five and then do six because four and six are good even if seven's my favorite, but it's like you know when you look at like the effects that happened in Friday the 13th movies, the whole thing Savini always talked about was they told me, come up with the craziest ideas you can. Like there you were trying to do inventive kills. You were trying right. to do like, what crazy stuff could you do when you watch. Now, I don't know when the last time you guys watched Maniac was, but Maniac is the movie that led right into this. He actually finished Maniac and then filmed the Prowler, like literally back to back. Um, when you watch the kills in Maniac, there's not 
super inventive kills in that. They're they're brutal and disgusting. I mean, uh, um, you know, it's just it's not a it's not a pleasant movie. No. Kind of thing. I mean, it's probably the best way to describe it. It's not pleasant at all. Um, but the kills are very. I mean, there's a couple scenes where the blood's horrible and the like. The blade doesn't look real. But I mean, there's some kills in here. You're like, okay, yeah, that's that's gross. Like he's really good. You know, I, like you can't use it, whatever. But I I seem to remember Maniac got way more publicity for for with outrage for it. There was you know yeah. more more critical like. This is just exploit. I remember there was a lot of like, wasn't the director like he went from porn to well, lusting, yeah, and 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 so they they you know there was just a lot of like this movie's an outrage, blah blah blah, which is the best publicity for a movie like that. <laughs> which I mean, like the Prowler could have used that, you know. Maniac it, was made with porn money. Yeah, That's not, Man- Maniac has a sleazier feel that. to it too. Yeah that fact he he very honestly said yeah we made this with porn money and they use money from maniac to make porns it's yeah. not he doesn't hide those, those yeah. things. dad and i talk about that the whole point is maniac again if i know it's not we're not covering that movie here but when you watch that it is the underbelly of new york city it's disgusting it's grimy it's just this like people who never were in new york city are like that's new york city and people are like yeah and like that's disgusting. Yeah, we and did we, on the Honeywell experiment. We did Miss Forty Five a little while ago, and that's got the same sort of seamy, yeah. dirty, gross, violent, garbage-strewn streets feel. But the thing is, that's why I think this one, where we again the effects being so realistic in Maniac, and the effects being so realistic here in The Prowler, I think lend so much. Um, I'm gonna say I want to say reality because this is kind of insane, but like it's it's much more real. Like if the effects were kind of like uh, Chodo Brothers, like kind of over the top, you know what I'm saying? Like you know, like uh, like they were in like Freaked or they were in like uh, you know whatever kind of like kind of sillier kind of thing. If these were played a little more gag like, I think this movie kind of loses any punch it has. Yeah, because I don't care about the characters, but these things look like okay, that's a knife going through someone's actual head. It's right. not. It looks like it is. You know, but, kind of thing. Like, like Luke said, it has that. But when it's not in the gore effects, it's got that dreamlike quality to it, mm-hmm. and it's got a very like classic movie. You know, pretty location, and then the gore effects are visceral. You know, yeah. so it's yeah. Yeah. Well, so it's kind of funny. Is um, Jonathan Kenneth Muir who did a lot, who does a lot, he's a, uh, a renowned um, film scholar. He does a lot of work for like uh, FAB press and stuff like that. Right. Um, he actually, in one of his uh, reviews of this, it said um, that it, it transcends many of its peers because it's blunt faced approach to violence uh, allowed the movie to kind of go beyond like to have stuff. Like it was, it was just so, and it's probably the best way to say it. It's very blunt. The violence is not, it's not like, you know, it's yeah. not Freddy Krueger. There's no wisecracks. There's no, he doesn't say anything. No, I think you, that part of the thing, he literally says nothing. You expect that blunt uh, bluntness in a movie like Maniac or in an Abel Ferreira movie or something like that. That's, that's gritty all around the edges. But this one isn't. This one's slick and, you know, 
and it's got a nice summery feel to it and you know you're in a you're in a resort town and stuff and it, it's it's not seamy it's not even like even the even the characters uh, you know they have teens having sex and stuff but it's not sleazy you know it's just your normal teenagers doing your teenage things there's there's the, the it also doesn't really have like the just horrible um um terrible um obnoxious characters that it, it has a couple sort of like you know redneck goobery sort of locals that are kind of obnoxious but they're not they're kind of in it more endearing in their in their doofiness but there are you know there aren't those those teenagers that are just horrible even the ones that are like the guy who's bragging about his money in the beginning and just like come on have a drink we'll go out to make out point and stuff it's it's not like the the and and especially when it goes in the 80s that's when you usually have you know you had the drunk guy who was like come on babe puking and stuff but he wasn't just the asshole that's usually in the slasher right. movies that you're just like i can't wait for this guy to to buy it you know and uh ah. and it makes it more realistic and yeah so i i was looking i finally found that what was cut out of the movie Okay, so there was, again, it was trimmed for the U.S. releases a little bit, but it wasn't, the, the stuff was still there. The most trims were made in Germany. The German version omits all of the gore scenes, including the revelation of the killer's identity. Oh. Because the movie ends, they don't know who killed them. Germany? Yeah, that's what I said. Like, they should have put more scheisse in the movie, I guess. <laughs> So, and then replace the soundtrack with bird sounds for daytime oh, yes. scenes, cricket sounds for nighttime scenes, and Richard Einhorn's score with synthesizer music by an uncredited musician. And then the version goes on, goes by the title uh, Die Folk de, des Todes, I don't speak German, which is called The Pitchfork of Death, right? It's called The Pitchfork <laughs> With no death. <laughs> no death. No death, but it's good because we know it's daytime because birds are singing and it's nighttime because the, the crickets are chirping. But <laughs> oh my God. that's the way I, things are in Germany, you know. If, if 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 there's no crickets, they're not really sure if it's day or night. It's some weird cultural thing over there. I'm not sure what that is. It's like they got like a cricket switch over there that <laughs> just like as soon as the sun goes down. It's like ah uh, yeah it it is night nice and now yeah okay. It, it's like it's like it's like they saw a phenomenon and they're like hey. I really, even though that movie came out way after this, I really like the idea of all the bugs making lots of noises. Let's put it in everything. <laughs> Dude, okay, sorry. Oh. Those Germans and their bug noise movies, I tell you. <laughs> I've seen it once, I've seen it a thousand times. They're kinky <laughs> bastards. But it, in Phenomena, don't the, 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 when Jennifer Connelly's doing whatever, the bugs make tons of noise constantly. Yes, they do. They do make tons of noise. <laughs> You know, they saw that movie with Donald Pleasance and Jennifer Connelly and, uh, you know, Iron Maiden and uh, um, um, Motorhead on the soundtrack. And they're like, yeah, this is what we want. Yes. <laughs> we do nothing else. Yes, we do this. Yes. And it, 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 that came out after this. So it's totally amazing how they knew that way. That. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm reminded every time I talk with the German accent, I'm reminded of. Uh, 
many, <laughs> many years ago, longer now than it seems, um, on the Media Masochist of all shows. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Chris Honeywell and I did Legend of Dinosaurs and Monster Birds. Yes, oh, we did. God. And I found, uh, before we did that, the that film, that Japanese film, which uh, is a total uh, Jaws ripoff with dinosaurs, um, was actually released in Germany under the title Giganten der Wurzeit, which uh, stands, which means that stands for is German for giants from the prehistoric age, like gi- giants from the the deep history. Like Wurzeit means like the far away past, right? And uh, so we actually had the trailer for that for Giganten der Wurzeit in German. So it's this Japanese film that's now been dubbed into German, right? And I remember at the time that I found it, I was working with a guy named Javier. And Javier had a very interesting background. So Javier was actually from Costa Rica. But he was adopted and grew up in Germany. And his mother by birth was Chilean. And his father by birth was German. So Javier could speak uh, English, German, and Spanish. Okay, very fluently. So I saw this crazy German trailer and I sent to Javier. And uh, and I joked to him and I said, uh, you know, Javier, I think this may, this trailer for Giganten der Wurzeit may be the second worst thing that Germany and Japan ever got together to do. <laughs> <laughs> and Javier came back. He's like, no, I think it's number one. I'm pretty sure it's number one. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's still being played. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it's still walking years so right at least talk about that right um for those of you who have ever uh read any of john lemay's stuff john lemay loves uh the legend of dinosaurs and giant birds right and he goes into super detail about the german version which no one seems to have a copy of an actual copy of it's been like a physical like you can actually see but they read that it's not just they took the movie and dubbed it into german they took the movie, cut it up into pieces, rearranged the pieces to tell a totally different story. So and they then basically st- did what Roger Corman did to other countries. Right. But stuff music from other movies, put it in. He, the, the problem is it has scenes of people who are dead, back alive, then they're dead again. Then it's... He, John Mate has a whole whole I'm trying to remember what it's it's in one of his uh lost film books, but it's actually reprinted in one of his his uh digests. And I don't remember which one it is because I've read all of them, but it's it, all I know is uh uh John would talk about it. He was like, It's the one when you're reading this, you're like, this can't be real. And it is. And if you watch the movie straight, the the Japanese cut of this movie, right? Kind of thing, like it's all in order and stuff, it's not good. Like, no. you're not sitting there going like, oh, my God, this is like the lost, you know, great Kaiju movie. So it's not even a good movie. And that it was cut up into pieces and redone. Like, there's a volcano at one point. But in the German version, the volcano happens at a different point, And, like, things that happen after the volcano have to happen before. Yeah. There's no way they can be there. Oh, this, maybe these were the things that they could get away with. Uh, yeah, German know. expressionism. These, these okay, were the I, things they... I, 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 schlock. <laughs> oh, schlock, all right. I mean, there's no question. 
And the movie's yeah. called Gigantin der Wortscheid, for crying out loud. I just love saying it, you know? I, just, I, 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 I refer to the film as Gigantin der Wortscheid even here in the U.S., you know? I, I love that friggin' title so much. It's... <laughs> well, I mean, the thing was, Corman would send people, here, here's, here's $10,000 and a camera, you got a weekend, right? And they would come back with stuff, and he's like, what is, what is this, right? And then, what do you have here? And then he would cut stuff in. He actually sent what the heck is what movie was it? Oh, John LeMay is going to be pissed because I should know this answer and I can't think of the top of my head. Uh, he sent a crew down to film something in like I want to say the Caribbean. It could be Puerto Rico. I'm not 100 percent sure, but they started filming basically like a comedy, and he came back and he goes, "What's this shit?" And they go, "Oh, it's funny. It's a comedy." He recut the hell out of it and made it like straight up, but it's like so bad. The like, creature of the haunted sea. Is it? It is creature from the haunted sea. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's like they shot it like it was a comedy, so he had to recut the thing. But then he had to like have other people, but he didn't have the natives who were speaking Spanish to be. So he had to just stick people in and had to keep things. And oh my god, like part there of me. Was, there was a time, and it's moved to cable TV now. And maybe even into Netflix and stuff like that. But there's always a time where you just need movies to fill space. You know, there's like, like even Redbox. Like there's like, I was, I was, I saw a video, just a random video, someone reviewing a Bigfoot documentary they saw on, I think it might have been, it was either Netflix or Amazon Prime, but I guess there's a whole like places now have whole sections of Bigfoot documentaries and it was a story about a girl who who it was a documentary about a girl who's a musician now but she saw Bigfoot when she was a little kid and she feels a connection to Bigfoot so she's doing an investigation and what they basically did was hire a couple guy locals to do a search out in the woods and then they sort of filmed her on separate days and tried to cut it like she was there with them and the whole thing cost fifteen dollars obviously and just shot on like you know a combination of cell phones you know it's something uh, a group of people really just sort of put together in a in a weekend and and it's up on net and and now like somebody made a video on it now it'll actually probably make a little bit of money on (laughs) On Netflix, but it's there because they just need stuff in there to fill in the space to go, like, look at this choice of stuff you have. So, like, if we got together and we had enough money to get together and just cut some movie together, almost no matter what it was, you know, I mean, look at, like, Lifetime movies, the blandness of, of lifetime movies, but there's thousands of them and providing work for directors and crew for forever and writers. And they need them there to fill those, that 24 hour cable that, you know, thing with affordable, with affordable, um, material. So like, yeah, there was just, you, there was a, you can't get away with as much now as when you had less options then, but like, yeah, you could put together something that was incoherent and that was maybe just a financial, some sort of financial scheme that made money before <laughs> it made money for some people before it even hit the th- screens, you know? So uh, I found the movie, Chris, you're talking about. It's called 
Uh, Bigfoot Girl. Yes. 2019, an hour, 15 minutes. The budget was estimated to be $1 million. No. <laughs> no. It says estimated. If, if, you get so, a chance to, if you get a chance to watch it, that $1 million went into crack or something because yeah, it's I'm saying I'm not saying they didn't get a whole bunch of blow and just like do a whole lot of drugs and like let's do this thing I'm not saying that but I'm just saying in general they're saying that um it's also known as Bigfoot Girl which is the actual name of the movie why would you say so the movie's called <laughs> I'm yeah that's Bigfoot what I'm girl. saying AKA you guys want to make a girl. movie <laughs> So what? So in the German version of Bigfoot Girl, do they cut it apart and like re-edit it and put it back in different order? Then is that that what they're doing? Yeah. It's called King Kong's Hellbrood, isn't it? In Germany, I think isn't that the title? The worst part is, is that it has. I think it's called Scheiße Monkey. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, Scheiße Frau. Scheiße Frau. Frau. <laughs> Shyson monkey prowl. The thing is, for rating this thing, they're giving it like three stars out of ten. Like, there's no way. Like, even the director there's didn't no give way it, three it got three stars. There's no way it deserves three stars. It like it's it's not even so bad. It's good. It's one of those things where you watch and go like, holy shit! Anybody can make a movie these days and get it on in on a major platform. I guess it's not a. It's not difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the wrong business then. People who made the movie went on to give it 10 out of 10s. Thank God that boosted its its score up. Remind me when we get off the air, I had an idea, the 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 kernel for an idea for a horror movie franchise or a new new twist on a horror thing that I don't want to talk about here because I don't want nobody to to it's know okay. about it. Okay. I don't want it to get out into the public. I don't want we, them stealing so all our ideas. Other good ideas. I'm telling you right now, if we keep talking about these kind of Bigfoot movies, we ain't going to have anyone listening anyway. So, <laughs> eh, they already downloaded. What difference does it make? That's what I was going to say. Uh, like, like, that movie just made $5 and half its budget back just from this show, from people who are going to check it out out of curiosity. Oh, yeah. In all in all seriousness, though, a movie you probably should check out out of curiosity if you haven't seen it is The Prowler, and, and I'm yes. being serious about that because yeah, you know it's it is, and I know we've been kind of far afield because that this one is where visually is where this movie owns, right? Yeah. So it's very difficult to talk about it, um, you know, audially, right? The the, the story yeah. is not anything great. It's hard to there's only so many superlatives you can say about how incredible the the effects and the the kills and that type of stuff are the visual aspects of this film. So this is one that if you're if what we're talking about if this kind of if you like Savini if if this you know kind of film is where your wheelhouse is and if you're listening to our show it it's probably a decent chance that it is. Yeah. Go check it out. I mean, you can rent this on Prime Video for 4 bucks and then you'll turn around and buy the Blu-ray. So, you know, just just get check it out because this on YouTube this, this too. is Oh yeah, that's right. And I think it's actually it's on Tubi. Now that I think about it, I think it's on Tubi right now for free. Yeah. If you want to go that route, uh, I love Tubi myself. I, I I fully endorse their services. And I'm uh, if you go, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna steal something from a good friend of mine. If you go to Tubi.com, enter promo code Vault, 
absolutely nothing will happen. So uh, don't don't do that. But you but still get Tubi for free. You still get it for free. So you got that going on. But, Plus it's uh, got MXC. So that's you know you'll be just marathon. And you know what that. we say? Don't get yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, go to Tubi and put in Cold Vault, and you will get a incorrect code word error. <laughs> error. On Blu-ray, uh, the Blu-ray is 20 bucks. The Blu-ray is the Blue Underground 2010 release. It's the full uncut version of the movie. It's pristine. I can't imagine they're going to re-release this thing and look any better than it does. This is about as good as this movie's going to look because it was. It wasn't like it was shot digitally where you can like you know do anything else. They've already gone back and cleaned it up. Um, like Luke said, it's about four bucks to rent, nine dollars to own on Prime Video, but you can get it. You can, again on. Tubi stuff goes on and off Tubi, you know, kind of thing. So when we're recording this, it's on there and it might not be, but it is available on YouTube. Um, it's, it's out there. It's, it's the DVD itself is usually around 15 bucks. You probably could find these things cheaper. I'm not saying you couldn't find these things cheaper. Um, there was a time when I would literally say you could walk into any Best Buy and it would be sitting in the horror section. But considering that Best Buy doesn't want to sell you Blu-rays anymore or DVD yeah. or anything, um, I haven't walked into one in probably a couple of years. Uh, so this is not one that pops up often uh, like the. So, OK, so, you know, sometimes like Walmart will have like all the like the kind of horror movies and stuff out at Halloween. These don't this one doesn't show up at Halloween because it's because it's Blue Underground. It's not like uh, you know, Blue Underground is kind of niche. That's Will Lusting, the guy who made Maniac. It's kind of his company kind of thing, right? Kind of thing. He put all that stuff. That's why those movies are all you have a life with them. They're able to get a life on, um, you know, DVD and eventually Blu-ray. But it's available, folks. It's well worth your time. Uh, uh, it is the if you are someone who is sensitive to like realistic looking effects, um, just be warned that there are definitely things in here that are going to be a little realistic for you. Um, you know, kind of thing. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not a family movie. Don't, don't think you're going to pop it on for everybody. I mean, my wife watched it with me and my daughter sat worse than this, but I'm just saying is like, it's yeah, not they're a- your wife and daughter though. <laughs> they're Jason Jack and Eddie's wife and daughter. They're battle scarred veterans. Yeah. I mean, Haley and I watched dead heat this afternoon just as a movie to pop on. Cause I got the Blu-ray of it. And she was like, this was funny. Literally. Yeah dead people the entire movie everyone's dead in the whole movie you know kind of thing and i'm like yeah most people will be like i wouldn't show my kid that Haley thought it was a hoot uh kind of thing so um but yeah you know it's worth checking out and i think this might be one especially if you haven't seen this one mm-hmm. or if you haven't seen it in a long time it's definitely worth the rewatch or discovering you know kind of thing so yeah see i that's a, that's that was a story I, I meant to tell earlier is that my first exposure to this on that dvd that blue underground dvd and I've told I've told about this before. When I was a, um, a post grad at Clemson, when I was working, I actually worked at the university for a few years. I would host little horror movie marathons because I was the one introducing a lot of my friends to horror movies. Because you know, I've talked about this again too. As a lot of these movies were coming out on VHS and then DVD when I was in college, I was discovering this. You know, that's when I first you know with with Jay and our friend John in the in the summer breaks. That's when I first saw. Um, you know, zombie. So I first saw Profondo Rosso, Tenebrae. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of these types of movies, a lot of these movies that were before my time, so to speak. And so I started doing Horror Festicon as an, a way to keep that going, right? A way to program a little movie, a little movie festival. 
And on the second one we did, The Prowler was the first movie. And it was, I had never seen it. I had bought it on reputation alone. And we, you know, it's like we, we, I, that was the lead off movie. And it was like, it, it blew everybody away. It blew everyone away with the, just, I said, the, the depiction of it. It was so, we were, we had been watching all this Italian stuff, you know? And so we were used to the kind of the, the really, you know, the, you know, shocking kind of over the top stuff. But then we watched this and it's, it's such a swing. It's still gruesome. It's still violent, but the tone of it. The tone of it is so different than, you know, something Italian or something artsy fartsy like that. There's there's like I said, the, you know, the, the old the old um, uh, chestnut about Argento was that he, he shot love scenes like murders and murders like love scenes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Savini doesn't stage his murders like love scenes. <laughs> his murders look like murders. Right. Yes. So there's, like I said, so that this was just blowing people's socks off when we when we watched this. And that was an audience of. Not necessarily neophytes, but certainly people that didn't have the uh, exposure to the genre that I did, but were willing and eager. So if you got some people like that, this could be this could be a, a, a pretty interesting Friday night with a case of your favorite beverage. Yeah, you know I, I just I just thought of a great triple feature to put this one in. I'm calling it Small Towns with Sheriffs. You start off with the nest because it's we're goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> then you move on to this. And then you follow up, you finish the night with Jaws. You know, you just have an increasing oh. quality as you go along, and you're going to get something different out of every single one. <laughs> That's yeah. got a little organic flow to it, too. Yeah, I like that. I have ideas sometimes. Not many. <laughs> I hear things. I hear things. I, I like it. You know, if, you know it would have been great if at the end, when Pam is there with the uh, with, with the sheriff, and she's they're, they're, they're fighting for the gun, if she had gone, smile, you son of a bitch, you know. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> There's not a lot of movies that can't be improved by adding that line in, in some capacity. That's true. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.